Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Four times in five verses, Jesus says, be on the alert, be ready. And he gives this analogy of servants in the home. He said, be ready. If you're the doorkeeper, be ready. Be on the alert. Four times in five verses, he makes this statement. It's as if he wants us to be ready. The end is near. Have you ever seen someone holding up a sign that had those words on it? Usually in the movies, it's a long-haired bush beard, barefooted, wild-eyed man who is holding up a sign like that and shouting at the top of his lungs, repent, the end is near. But the truth is, the end may in fact be near. I guess everybody would like to know when the end will be, but is that really the point? The point is not to know what, the point is to know who, who is coming. The point is not to know when, the point is to live ready. Hi and welcome to Crosswalk. Well, for the last few weeks, Pastor Clay has been walking us through Mark chapter 13 in our series, Jesus the Real Action Hero. Chapter 13 of the book of Mark records Jesus' teaching on the end times, including his return to earth. The first time he came in really relative obscurity, and the next time he comes, uh, there won't be anything obscure about it. As I mentioned a moment ago, pretty much everybody wishes they knew exactly when the end was going to come and when the return of Jesus is going to be. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, when Jesus returns is not really the point. Thanks for being with us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. We're in Mark chapter 13. For the second week, we're in verses 24 through 37, which is, you know, the, really kind of the climax of Jesus' teaching on the end time events. Y'all want to hear some more about it this morning? That was, yeah, that was nice. That was nice. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna read, I read it last week. I'm going to read it again, uh, and, and then we'll jump into this morning. But the context this is what's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is teaching specifically on events that will take place uh, in the last days uh, at the end of time and uh, as a result of a question that his disciples asked him. And we're starting this morning in, uh, in verse 24. But in those days, after the tribulation, so before that we were kind of talking about the, the tribulation period and we talked some about that, but after the tribulation... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now, Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already been tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, these things that he's been describing and talking about, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, 
Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed. Keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Father, uh, just thanks. Thanks so much for all these people who are here today. I, I never want to take for granted every single person that walks through that door. Some of the people here today have have been coming for years. They've been part of cross-culture from the beginning. Some people have walked through the doors for the very first time, and they're looking around, they're not sure about this, or they're thinking about, is this something for them, or, or uh, what is this whole God thing, or Jesus? I, I don't know where each person is in their journey uh, toward discovering and, and knowing and, and walking with you, but I'm grateful for each person who's here. And I'm grateful that in, included in that is your word, which you have given to us, that is truth without any mixture of error, and that it is able to perform surgery on our hearts and on our lives. As the writer of Hebrews says, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And so today, uh, as I often pray, Father, I ask that you would do surgery, that you would, uh, as a result of what we discuss here, yes, end times events, but as a result of it, that we would make current application to our lives, that you would cut out of my life, cut out of my life, Lord, what does not belong there. So into my life, the, the aspects that would be honoring to you, promoting to your, your kingdom, and would be, would be a, a tool that you could use to point others uh, to you. Thank you for the life that we can have in you. It is not always uh, perfect, uh, but Lord, uh, we have hope. Part of that hope is what we're discussing today. So, Father, uh, just thanks. Thanks for this chance. May our, may our minds be attentive. And I know how easy it is for our minds to wander. Some of these folks, this one hour on Sunday morning is one of the first times that they really just sit down and are quiet. And so it's easy to get drowsy. It's easy to, to fall asleep. It's easy to let our minds drift. I'm praying today that our minds would be sharp and would be focused on what you have to say through, through me, your messenger boy. And I'm very honored to have that title uh, today, but may our minds, our hearts, our ears uh, be focused and attentive to what you would say to each of us, and may we leave here today not only with more knowledge, uh, but with, with a desire, a hunger to live more for Jesus Christ than ever before. It's in his name we pray, amen. Okay, uh, I, I said from this passage, 24 through 37, that there were really a, a couple of points that I wanted to make. We made one of the points last week, and the point that we made last week was this point, that the point is not what will happen, but the one who will appear. That, that's the point. It, it's, it's not what will happen. And, and there is lots of detail in there. There's lots of detail in Jesus' teaching and the Olivet Discourse and, and Matthew and Mark and in Luke. All, all three of the synoptic gospel writers record this teaching time. And there's a lot of details, a lot of information there. You can find information about the end times, obviously, in the book of Revelation. You can find information about the end times uh, in the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel and, and other Old Testament books. So there, there's plenty to, to learn about. And as I said last week, we should. But we need to to understand that, that ultimately it's not really about what will happen. 
And nobody fully understands what will happen. There's, there is some things that I believe are very literal and will happen just the way they've been described. But, uh, but the truth is nobody knows exactly how all of this is, is going to come down. But here's, here's what we know. And here's what I tried to kind of emphasize or, or hone in on last week when discussing this point. That one of the things that we know is that, uh, that the one who is going to come, when Jesus comes, that he is going to make a grand entrance. If you are here last week, do you remember that I said that? That he's going to make a grand entrance. And we read that just a moment ago where the, the sun becomes dark and the moon doesn't give its light and the stars begin to fall from the sky and what all does all of that mean? I'm not sure. I, don't, I can't stand here and tell you exactly what all that means except to know that when he comes, buddy, everybody's gonna know it. It's, it's gonna be really clear. Whoa, the man is back in town. He is showing up. Jesus is here. It's gonna be very evident, very clear and, and I, I drew that, that contrast between the first time he came in really relative obscurity and the next time he comes, uh, there won't be anything obscure about it. Everybody will see that, uh, that Jesus has come. It will be a grand entrance, befitting, I think as I said last week, befitting of the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The second uh, kind of aspect of the point that I made was that not only is he going to make a grand entrance, but he is going to keep what I believe is a great promise. And, and this is important for us. And, I, and as I said last week, no, we're not the nation of Israel. No, we're not Jews. Um, I don't believe in what's called replacement theology. I don't believe the church became Israel. I believe God ha- had, has, and, and will have this promise that he's going to fulfill to the nation of Israel. And that promise is based on this, this covenant that he made all the way, starting all the way back with Abraham where he said, Abraham, come here. He said, I want you to go to and fro throughout the land. I want you to go. And as far, wherever you go, wherever, as far as you go, I'm gonna give you that land. And, I'm, and Abraham, I'm making this eternal covenant with you and, and with your descendants. And in the teaching in Mark 13, Jesus begins to, I believe, go back to that idea and he captures that idea that, that God, this day is coming when God will gather this elect group, these, these Jews that, that have been scattered all over the world and, and somebody just recently pointed out to me that, that in a very real sense that, that gathering has already begun and we talked about that some last week, the reorganization of the nation of Israel in 1948 and, and how you know, people began to return to the land and, and even somebody was telling me that as a result of some of the terrorist attacks that have been going on in, in Europe, Paris, and some of y- y'all know what I'm talking about, that there has been suddenly kind of a movement of, of more, more Jews are leaving Europe and going back uh, to Israel. So certainly uh, part of that could, could be uh, being fulfilled even as we speak, but uh, Jesus seems to describe something that is, that is supernatural in nature, but the bottom line is he is going to keep this promise that he made millennia ago. And here's why that's important for us. It's important for you and I. I I understand that we know this, but to just be reminded that God always keeps his promises. Because listen, if God changes his mind about Israel because they ran off on him, right? And they did, right? They they bailed out on him. They, oh, you know, we like it over here better with the Hittites, these these Jebusite women. They look pretty cool, you know, whatever. They're running all over the place, Right? When God said, stay here, stay under my protection. So if God abandons this promise and he said, well, you know, y'all blew it. Y'all, I, I said I'd do this, but y'all did so, no thanks. Then, then, then what could possibly make us think that he would keep at his promise to us when we go running off on him? Probably not you, but when I go running off on him, when I, when I act in an unchrist-like manner, when I, whatever. Because as what are referred to as evangelical Christians. Most of us believe, 
most of us believe in this thing called the eternal security of the believer. That a person who enters into a relationship with Jesus Christ cannot lose that relationship with Jesus Christ because it was never based on anything you did in the first place. It was based on everything that God did and he redeemed you and he adopted you into his family. And if he's, if he's not gonna keep a promise because of rebellion or sin or whatever, then, then can we really say that he'll keep the promise and, to us? No, God keeps his promises, ladies and gentlemen. Hear that today. God keeps his promises to you and to me. Okay, let's get to the, to the second point because that's where we're obviously gonna spend uh, the most time today. I don't, is my clock missing? Too bad for y'all. <laughs> All right, here's the second point. Here's the, here's the point this morning. Uh, the point is not to know when, but to live ready. That is a good point. Thank you, Steve. Let me read it again, right? The point is not to know what. The point is to know who, who is coming. The point is not to know when. The point is to live ready. Here's, let, me, let me read it again. I know I just read it, but listen. Verse 32. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house, putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper, stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. You do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and, and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all. In other words, what I, what I say to you disciples, once he was literally speaking to at that moment, 2,000 years ago, what I'm saying to you, I'm saying to all, to all those disciples down through the ages who will, who will hear the story, who will read my word, I say to all of you, be on the alert. Now, as you might imagine, let me get a, a little uh, theological, technical with you for a moment. As you might imagine, uh, verse 32 has been discussed and debated and dissected uh, pretty much since the moment Jesus spoke the words. What? If Jesus is God, how can there be something he doesn't know? How can Jesus not know this if he's, if he's God? It has been uh, discussed a lot. As a matter of fact, this verse, verse 32, has been used uh, through the ages, beginning with probably the first heresy, Arianism, uh, down through the ages by all those cults that, that tried to deny the, the validity of, of Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. Who tried to say, oh, he, he's not God. He's a, he's a good guy, or maybe he's a lesser God, but he, he's not God. Verse 32 has, has, has been used for that. Well, Jesus is right there. He said he didn't, he didn't know something that the Father knows, so he can't possibly be God. Listen to me. The fact that Jesus did not know something does not make him less inequality to the Father. Do you understand? Because we, we have to say, I mean, he clear, Jesus makes it clear that nobody knows the time of his return. When he makes the statement, he says, nobody knows, so not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, I'll just, some people have tried to say that there's some gr- grammatical evidence that what Jesus is saying is that 
it's not that he doesn't know, but that, that only the father ha- has the privilege of, of, of sharing when that time will be, that he's the only one that's going to get to uh, announce it. I, I don't know that that really stands up, but it seems to me that it's pretty clear that Jesus is saying that he, that he doesn't know when the return, when his, his return will be. And this, uh, admittedly, is, is a great mystery uh, to this. It, it's part of what, what theologians refer to as the hypostatic union. Sorry, <laughs> Steve's the only way he gets into this. Uh, it's, it's the hypostatic union. Y'all, y'all, y'all say that with me, hypostatic union, hypostatic union. Say y'all learned a new, new phrase today. <laughs> the hypostatic union is, is this idea that God, eternal in the heavens, came down and, and put on flesh, took on flesh. And I don't mean just took on or put it on the way you'd put on a coat and take back off a coat. No, he became a man. How, how, how does that work? How can God eternal, uh, spiritual, how can he become a physical, uh, material man? It, it, that's the hypostatic union. That's the question. What, how does that happen? <laughs> Somebody smarter than me is going to have to answer that one. Because, because I don't know. I don't think anybody no, understands the full mystery of it. But, but, but this I know, that the fact that God took on flesh and became a man did not make him less than God. But what it does mean is that he, as Paul puts it, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, that God the Son willingly emptied himself, is the way Paul puts it, emptied himself of some of his divine attributes. Or, or I don't know if it would be right to say divine privileges, but that, that might be a way to put it. For instance, for instance, Jesus got hungry. God doesn't get hungry. Jesus got thirsty. God doesn't get thirsty. Jesus, uh, Luke, Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with men and with God. Jesus, God doesn't grow. God doesn't increase in wisdom. It, it's, a, it's a mysterious thing, granted. But Jesus as man had limitations. Which is why I think when Jesus says, uh, nobody knows, not the angels in heaven nor the son, I believe what he's referring to is what was his favorite title for himself, the son of man, which was his way of identifying with humanity, with us. And in his humanity, he could honestly say, I don't know the return. But, and by the way, I think we can say that now, after the resurrection, being back in heaven, uh, John twenty one seventeen, he does know when his return will be because he knows all things. But here's the point. Y'all all go, oh, thank, thank goodness. <laughs> here's the point. You and I don't know. Didn't know, don't know, will not know when Jesus will return. And you know what? That's okay because that's not really the point. The point is not really to know when he will return. The point is to live ready for his return. Four times in five verses. Y'all catch that right there at the end? Four times in five verses, Jesus says, be on the alert. Be ready. And he gives this analogy of servants in the home. He said, he said be ready. If you're the doorkeeper, be ready. Be on the alert. Four times in five verses, he, he makes this statement. It's as if he, he wants us to, to, to be ready. It's as if he wants us to live ready in the recognition that his return could be at any time. And that's the point. Ladies and gentlemen, that he's going to return. 
And by the way, I'm pretty sure that at least part of the reason God did not, does not let us know when he's going to return is because, uh, think about this, imagine this. If we had known, if the early disciples, way back, if we had known that it was going to be at least 2,000 years before he shows back up bodily, physically, his presence, if we, if we had known it's going to be at least 2,000 years, what do you think those early disciples would have been tempted to do? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Oh, oh, he's not coming back for a long time? Oh, we, we got, you know what they would have done? I, I'm, this is, this is the Baptist coming out in me. But you know what I believe they would have done? I believe they probably would have formed a committee. <laughs> I, I believe they would have formed a committee to, to study the, the most uh, uh, effective ways to spread the message of Jesus. And of course, if you've got a committee, you've got to have subcommittees. So I'm pretty sure they would have had, they would have had a subcommittee to, uh, to develop an acrostic for the easiest way to share the message of Jesus. And they probably would have had a subcommittee to, to, uh, to study the long-term effects of people living overseas while sharing the message of Jesus. And they probably would have had a subcommittee uh, studying the, uh, the long-term effects on the vocal cords of sharing the message of Jesus over and over again. And, and they probably would have had a subcommittee on, on the best, best methods for, for packing when you're going to go out and share the message of Jesus. And, of course, all the subcommittees and the committees would have had to set times to get back together. And they would have had to have their meetings and they would have had to vote on funding and... But listen, they didn't know when he was going to show, so they had to go. Came up with that myself. They didn't know when he was going to show, so they had to go. They just had to go and take the message of Jesus to anywhere that their feet would carry them, anywhere a ship would carry them, anywhere, any, any way, anyhow, they had to go and share the message of Jesus. Jesus Christ is returning. He's coming back. And that should, that should influence my life. That should impact my life in some way. I should, I should think about this. I should be prepared for this. And, and the idea of sharing my faith and living out my faith and, and all that should be impacted by the reality, by the truth that he will return. Listen, think about this. Y'all, uh, how about these uh, doomsday preppers? Y'all know about do- doomsday preppers? No, no, some of y'all do some prepping, right? Come on, you can, you can be, uh, no, I know, oh, forget, y'all don't want to give y'all location away and all that stuff, but, um, but I, know, I know some of y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all are into prepping. Listen, y- but y'all have heard of these doomsday preppers? People that are anticipating a cataclysmic event that's going to occur at some time are preparing for it. They're ready for it. They're doing, in other words, they are living as if they really believe that this event is going to happen. Newsflash, Jesus is coming back. Are you living ready? Look, look, look at Luke, Luke 21, where Luke uh, talks about uh, the, his recording of Jesus' teaching here. He gives us a little more detail of what Jesus says. And he says, he says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. You understand what he's just saying? You get so caught up in, in coming or going or doing or, you know, all this stuff. He says, don't get dulled by that. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Don't get so caught up in your daily living, whether it's carousing and drunkenness or whatever, whether it's just, just oh, how am I gonna pay my bills or how, don't 
let that dull you to the fact that he's coming back. Um, look at this passage in First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves and then together with them, we who are still alive, notice how Paul puts himself uh, in, in that context. We who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, let me ask you a question. As we get ready to kind of draw this thing uh, to a close. Uh, let me ask you what really is a very pertinent question considering what we're studying today. Do I live ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Why don't you think about that question for a moment. Don't ask it about your spouse. Don't ask it about your neighbor. Don't ask it, but to, right now to yourself, asking yourself that question, do I live ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Think about it. And if you thought about it, and, and, and if you said, you know, I, I, I think so, yes. I, I believe I'm living my life ready for the return of Jesus Christ. If, if that's how you would answer that, can I say to you, great, fantastic. My, my prayer is that every single one of us and, 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 and a million more that we could reach would be living their life uh, ready for the return of Jesus Christ. But if you did answer that question, yes. If you did say, yes, I believe I'm living my life ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And I have another question for you. How is my life different because I'm living ready for his return? How is my, in other words, how am I living my life in a way that I wouldn't be living it if I wasn't looking for his return? Now that's a little more thought-provoking question, isn't it? So I have to think about, okay, if I wasn't looking for his return, I'd be going to work and I'd be, you know, loving on my family. I'd be doing that kind of stuff. So that's not really different. So how would my life, how does my life look different as a result of living ready for his return? Let me just give you three uh, ideas, three areas where that question should impact uh, your life. Here's the first one. Live a life of holiness as a result of the knowledge that he is returning and that you're living ready for that return, it, what it should mean is that you should live a life of holiness. My life group is doing a study right now on holiness and escaping temptation and that kind of thing. And, and uh, last week was the first week, and, and we already looked at that aspect where uh, the, we broke down the, what holiness really means, that idea of, of apartness, that idea of separateness, that, that idea of, of, of being different. In, in other words, to live holy... If I'm living holy, it means that my life should look separate, in some way be different from the people that are not living for the return of Jesus Christ. Does that, you understand? That there should be something about my life that is an otherness, that is a separateness from those not looking for, not expecting, not even wanting the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, Apostle Peter writes this, First uh, Peter chapter one, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. And he's not insulting you, he's just saying you, you, didn't, you didn't know this. Before you came to Christ, you, you didn't know that God had a standard, that God was calling us to holiness. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy. Holiness should be a characteristic of my life if I'm living, expecting the return of Jesus Christ. Live a life of holiness. Second, live a life of hopefulness. Now, listen, hope is just one of those words that just 
consume the word of God. I mean, the idea of hope is just plastered all over the word of God. And as I was just looking up some verses that dealt with hope, I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta show them that. Oh, I gotta show them that, I gotta show them. And I could show you a million, but, but I, I gotta show you at, at least seven or eight. I gotta show you this morning. You got just this idea of living a life of hopefulness. In Job chapter four, Job says, is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Isn't that, shouldn't that be your, your hope? Look at Psalm thirty-one twenty-four. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 39, verse seven. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Look at in the book of Acts chapter two. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live. I'm gonna live in hope. Uh, Romans eight, if, uh, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. All right, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, who gives you hope? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a, you're abounding in this hope. How about uh, Titus uh, chapter two? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, that verse kind of speaks to that whole hypostatic union thing, doesn't it? Paul just calls Jesus God. He just, he just flat calls him God. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our, that's where my hope comes from. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for his return. Okay, one more. First uh, Peter chapter one. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation, at the unveiling, at the revealing, at the return of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope on that. Listen, can I tell you something? Y'all listen, everybody looking at me? Everybody listening? The people you know should envy you. They should. And not, not for the job that you have, not for the, the salary that you have, not for the vacations that you get to take, not for the house that you live in, not for the car that you drive. People should envy you for the hope that should be so prominent in your life that it's spilling out of you and spilling out onto all of those around you. People should envy you for that. Because can I tell you something? I don't know of anybody that, that doesn't want to live a life of hope. People should envy you because your hope is so prominent in your life. Well, uh, what about when I'm what about when I'm hurt? What about when I when I'm lonely? What about when my when I go through trials and, and suffering and, and, and heartaches and all that? Am I, am I just supposed to pretend that, that that I have hope and that I'm joyful? Because am I just supposed to pretend that? No, listen to me. Listen, I, I got a statement for you. Listen, you don't you don't pretend hope, ladies and gentlemen. You don't pretend hope. You defend with hope. Do you understand the difference? You don't fake it. You're not, you're not faking this. Oh, yeah, kumbaya, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> no, you defend with that hope that you have that, that, that Peter talked about and Paul talked about and the Old Testament prophets wrote that they all wrote about that that, that that certain hope that you have becomes a defense against that stuff that comes into your life, that pain, that suffering, that heartache, those hurts, those trials, those tribulations. Do you understand? So, so, that, so that you can say, I just lost my job, but I've got hope. I know in whom I, be- well, let me, let me put it this way. You guys remember Job? 
Job's got knew a little something about pain and suffering, right? You know what Job said about all this? Here's what Job said. We got Job. I hate those issues. Here's what Job says. After all the stuff that comes down on him, Job says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that on that day, he will stand on the earth. I will stand on the earth with him on that day. That Job says, no, everything that's gone on, but this I know, my Redeemer lives. That, that's it, folks. There's your hope all up in your face. My Redeemer lives and that he will stand someday on this earth so that whether I lose my job, whether, whether my spouse just walked out on me, whether I've been diagnosed with cancer, and you understand, I know those are serious issues. Are the kids ever going to get well? I don't know. (laughs) But I know that my Redeemer liveth. It's that idea of approaching life with this understanding that I have hope and people should envy you for it. Real quick, one more, then we're done. Let me just give it to you. To live a life of helpfulness. Helpfulness. That that ought to be a characteristic of those who are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. I'll just tell you, most people in the world are focused on themselves and those that are theirs. That's, that's not the calling of a follower of Jesus. That, that, we, that we serve, that we help, that we do for others, that we think of others before we think of ourselves. That we pick up trash like we planned to do yesterday. We got rained out. We'll do it next Saturday. Hope y'all can, can make it. Or, or, we, or, we, or we bring in food for families less fortunate. Or we, uh, we, we, we serve in a soup line. Or we, or we share our faith. Or we hand out an Ivite card to come to church. It's it's all of it that God can use to draw people to himself because we are living a life of helpfulness. All right, listen. I don't know when Jesus Christ will return. I don't know. I think it will be soon. I, I, I have this sense that it will be soon. And I see some things occurring that, that you can relate to in prophecy that, that indicate to me that he's going to return soon. But I don't know. And it's not really the point anyway. Jesus said it one more time, just to read it to you one more time, in that last verse in, verse, in uh, chapter 13, where Jesus says, What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. A life of holiness, hopefulness, and helpfulness. As Pastor Clay just explained, those are the characteristics that should mark our lives as followers of Jesus as we look forward to His return. Certainly, there is plenty going on in the world today that could lead us to believe that the return of Christ is near. But as Jesus makes it clear, none of us knows for sure when that will be. The point is to live every day ready for His return. So when He comes, Jesus will find us faithfully working on His glory and His kingdom. Is He coming back? Absolutely. Are you ready for His return? We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. 
Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.